0: Hello everyone, you're listening to Jay Movie Talk, episode 104, as I'll be talking Quentin Tarantino's 1997 film, Jackie Brown. Uh, but, but here we go. If you had the chance to walk off with a half million dollars, would you take it? Yeah. i never met a girl who makes me feel the way that you do. You're What's up? That's Beaumont. Beaumont. My employee. I had to let go. When'd you get out of jail? Four days ago. For what? Like robbery. I'm impressed. Ever been tempted? when you absolutely positively got to kill every mother in the room, except no substitutes. Hello everyone, I am back. It is the new year, and hopefully everyone is having a nice new year and everything. The new year's been kind. We're only a few days into the new year. Um, I am somewhat late with this episode. Uh, I took more than The usual time that I was expecting to take off um, from the podcast to actually um, begin my Quentin Tarantino uh, three film series Uh, for anyone who don't know. Way back in November, I put up a poll and to see, you know, who I would be covering next as far as directors. And I didn't expect to be doing Tarantino because for a good little while um, doing the poll, the leader um on the poll was actually david cronenberg and i was kind of looking forward to doing um three films of his even though for anyone who remember back when i was doing my um horrorween um series of horror films and everything i reviewed uh the dead zone and it was the first time i actually sat and watched that movie all the way through and i was kind of thinking like you know i haven't really seen too many of Cronen, true Cronenberg films or whatnot because I don't look at The Dead Zone as being a true Cronenberg film I look at more of him adapting a Stephen King story so he kind of played more by the rules with that one or whatnot but I, I wanted to kind of dig into you know some of Cronenberg stuff so I was thinking that you know I was going to be doing Cronenberg Cronenberg and then right like near the end Quentin Tarantino ended up winning out, which I'm not mad at because QT is one of my favorite directors, filmmakers, actually. Um, So I'm actually happy that I'm actually going to be doing this and probably sometime down the road. I'll probably end up doing uh, some Cronenberg stuff as well. Um, But that is basically how he ended up winning the poll. And now I am kicking it off here with um, Jackie Brown, which I feel is. Tarantino's most adult film. And I don't mean that in a, you know, triple X type way or whatnot. I mean that in the standpoint of I mean, it's his third theatrical um film. His his solo film because for anyone who knows, you know, his first movie was Reservoir Dogs. His second movie was Pulp Fiction, which, you know, changed, you know, filmmaking, in especially the indie filmmaking scene. Um, and he also, you know, the bigger, um, mainstream Hollywood films as well. It basically changed the game, um, multiple ways and, and everything like that. But after that, Tarantino did, he did a portion of the film Four Rooms, which was directed by four different directors doing four different short stories that had a one looping overall story. Um, revolving around this uh, bellhop in a hotel i've actually watched the movie um it's been a while since i watched it I only seen it once or whatnot uh, i did didn't have too much of a problem with it um and everything who knows maybe one day in the future uh i will probably review that as well um but th- that is you know the film that he directed well i should say a short that he directed of a bigger film and. Then he comes back with his own feature film, which is 1997's Jackie Brown. Which I've, like I say, even though it is, it is his third movie that he directed, and he's directed, you know, many more after that, um, you know, and everything. But I feel, I still feel like, and I've seen all of his movies, so I feel comfortable saying this, that Jackie Brown is his most adult, most mature movie it it's just something different about it from all his other movies that feel almost kind of that has almost like a fantasy um surrealism to them in a way um and everything i mean reservoir dogs is borderline but even with that there's some mystery you know not mystery but uh fantasyism to it i just looked like he didn't have the money in order to do certain things on a grander scale. And then Pulp Fiction, I mean, it there there's a multi facets to that movie that I won't even go into, um and everything. But I feel like Jackie Brown is the movie that could be happening right now in someone's actual life or whatnot. Um so I won't go too too much into talking all that type of stuff. But um I do want to of course talk about this cast because this might be one of the best assembled casts, um and everything. Uh so we have Pam Grier, of course, as the title character, one Jackie Brown. We have Samuel L. Jackson as Odell Roby. We have Robert Forrester as Max Cherry, Bridget Fonda as Melanie, we have Michael Keaton, aka Batman, as Ray Nicolette, Robert De Niro as Lewis, Michael Bowen as uh well, they never really say his name in the movie. I just thought about that. At least I don't remember hearing them say his name in the movie. Uh, but Michael Bowen is in this, who's shown up in a few Quentin Tarantino movies. He's probably best known for being uh, the orderly in Kill Bill. You know, I'm Buck and I'm ready to fuck. You know, that guy or whatnot. Um, Chris Tucker shows up as a Beaumont Livingston and i mean there's quite a few other people sid haig he shows up in this freaking movie um which i will probably talk a little bit about his cameo um appearance in this movie a little later as well but like i say, it has a really good cast and and everything like that um like i said one of my favorite casts of tarantino i like all his casts pretty much but this one is almost like up near the top who knows maybe i'll Maybe I'll even do an episode where I talk about, like, who I feel is, like, the best assembled cast of Tarantino films. Cause he finds ways to. He, he, he finds actors that. I don't know. It's, it's weird how he. I, if I ever met the man, I would love to ask him questions about, like, how do you get these people in your movies? Cause he dig people up that you haven't seen in forever. He also have made new. Well, I, I don't know if he's really made any new stars, um, or whatnot. But he he finds a way to get actors you know in his movies and named actors um like I say, he he can get stars he can get people who you haven't seen in forever get people from you know uh foreign um films and stuff like that to show up it's it's, it's amazing how he does that um but uh anyway so the movie opens with um uh, the bobby womack's uh, across 110th street plan as Jackie, who's a flight attendant, um, is you know go, coming through the airport, and it's done in a very black type of way. Because we follow her through this airport with this song playing, and it fits purpose perfectly, and um, everything, which I enjoy. Um, as she's getting ready for her, you know, work or whatnot. Then we cut to um, Robert De Niro along with Samuel Jackson. They're sitting in an apartment, mm-hmm. and they're watching this freaking video called, uh, Chicks with Guns. And it's basically about these, they, you got these, like, models, um, fitness models or whatnot. And they're talking about how much they love their guns. And, and Odell, he's basically telling Lewis about, you know, the different types of guns and everything. Like, this. And it's done in a funny type of way. And I think the, the biggest line that kind of comes from this scene is like when he's, when, um, Odell says that, um, about one particular thing, he says, when you absolutely positively got to kill every motherfucker in the room. Except no substitutes. And it, I mean Samuel Jackson is just priceless in this movie. But um, I'll talk about more of him later. But for me it, it's, it's kind of interesting seeing Robert De Niro in this movie. Playing this particular character. Um At this point in 97. Robert, Robert De Niro is 54 years old. Um, but he he i mean he's fresh off the heels of movies like heat um you know whatnot and because that was in 95 and then he did uh marvin's room and you know different things like that and then here we are here he is here um ironically enough he did copland came out in 97 as well because i, I failed to mention at the beginning that um jackie brown came out christmas time of um 97 which is kind of funny but um Yeah, it came out in Christmas, but Copland had came out in this um, year as well, uh, which I think is another underrated movie that doesn't get talked about as much as it probably should or not. Um, But see a De Niro here, it's just ridiculous how he plays the character. He's, I mean, he's like aloof half the time. He's like a former bank robber um, and everything because he just got out of jail and him and uh, him and Odell, they knew each other from years ago. And he's basically coming back around, you know, trying to I guess get back into the swing of things or whatnot. And he hooks back up with Odell. Um, but like I say, it's it's kind of a treat to watch Robert De Niro play this character because it's it's almost kinda understated his performance in this movie a little bit. Um so, like I say, we, we spend a lot of we spend a lot of time actually with Odell and Lewis, um, and everything until uh lewis gets a f- i mean not lewis but odell he gets a phone call um about uh this guy that, that works for him named beaumont who has been picked up and everything he's been arrested and he's been held in jail and everything so they go to a bells bondsman, um max cherry played by uh, robert forrester and odell basically you know wants to bail him out and everything and the whole thing comes up about you know why exactly you coming here if you have the actual cash money to go you just take it and Odell kinda gives him gives Max him a runaround story about why he won't do it and say so he'd rather come to rather come to the Bills mom because they don't ask a lot of questions and everything. And we find out later why he does this because he gets Beaumont out and he goes to see Beaumont, who's played by Chris Tucker, and it is chris tucker his role here isn't big but it's very important his his that role for what we will see later of the relationship between lewis and odell because it almost feels like oh, um beaumont is the original lewis in a way um because so how it plays out of whatnot. not Odell goes to see Beaumont and he happy to see him, blah blah blah. And then Odell kinda give Beaumont this story about uh he got some good gu- some old guns he wanna go sell. He want him to come help him sell the guns over in Korea Town. So they go out to the car and there's this whole back and forth about about uh Beaumont getting in the trunk of a car, holding a shotgun, and of course Beaumont, you know, refuses and of course and in, in Chris Tucker's funny way of talking about he not getting in no dirty ass trunk <laughs> whatnot. And, you know, then Odell, you know, goes into full, you know, guilt trip mode about, you know, I ain't have to bail you out and everything like this. So you do this for me and whatnot. And then after this, we can go to um, Roscoe checking a waffle get something to eat, blah, blah, blah. So, Beaumont reluctantly gets into the car and gets into the trunk, which Odell almost slams the trunk down his head, which I think is funny. And you hear Beaumont, like, you know, cussing and fussing about that. And then Odell proceeds to get into gets into the car and you you figure something isn't right is about to go down because um when he gets in the car, the song by the Johnson brothers strawberry letter twenty twenty three comes on, and that opening um part of the song when it plays it almost gives like a sinister type of um vibe that odile is about to do something that he shouldn't do um or whatnot especially when he gives like a little sly smile and looks back at the trunk so he drives off he makes a u-turn and go and then he drives on off and then he cuts over into like this field or whatnot um and then he gets out of the car or opens up the trunk and he kills beaumont so that is the extension of chris Tucker's role in this movie but after that, he drives over to um, this woman who uh, works for him, named Simone, where Lewis is, where she's doing like this, like this dance where she's dressed like a Diana Ross from the Supremes, or whatnot, singing "Baby Love" or whatnot to him. And he calls up and tells Lewis to come downstairs, and that's when they have this whole talk about, you know, him if he truly wants to come in on him, you know, he has to know some things, and then he shows lewis beaumont's body and telling him like well that's beaumont and i had to blow his brains out because you know i just couldn't trust him no more and everything so that is kind of the way that odell brings lewis in you know and everything by letting him know like if you really if you really really don't want to be down with me you better make sure you own your p's and q's because you can end up like beaumont he don't come out and say that but that's basically what he's saying by showing him beaumont's dead body Um, so, uh, go back to Robert Forrester real quick. Um, as Max Cherry, the Bells Barsman, who kind of gets dragged into this whole kind of crime thing that's going on or whatnot. He, he didn't want any involvement in this. He just, just because of certain circumstances, he finds himself thrown into this mainly because of, um, Him dealing with uh, Jackie Brown where she gets arrested um, later on um, by the ATF. Uh, That's Ray Nicolette and uh, Michael Bowen character of Mark Dargis or whatnot. Like I said, I do not remember hearing Michael Bowen's name heard in the movie. I could be wrong, but I don't really ever remember hearing it heard. I mean, I hear Ray, Ray Nicolette and Ray say it all the time, but I never remember hearing Dargis or Mark or anything like that um but that's kind of how max cherry gets brought into the whole thing and i like the way robert forster plays it this was like his comeback role of, of in a sense i mean he had been doing some stuff but it wasn't nothing like on a high scale but this was like a comeback for him as well as pam grim pam grit to some degree even though the year previ- previous previous this she was in escape from la but who the hell really saw that even though that sequel to escape from new york sucks and as much as i love john Carpenter movies and everything but the movie does suck. it's good and terrible um but yeah so like i say, she had been doing some stuff but similar to robert Forster, their careers was like on the downside so for them to kind of make a comeback in this tarantino movie that was very much to the keen of the type of movies they were doing back in the 70s and early 80s and stuff like that it was kind of good to see them here but they were older and mature um and everything. And Robert Forster, he just seems like the every man. He never in this movie he never gets out of character. And what I mean by that is he never has like this flip out moment of like what am I doing here? He's always like he's like the coolest dude in the whole room. And everything. We see Odell get out of hand. We see Lewis get out of hand. We see Bridget Fonda get out of hand. We even see Jackie Brown get out of hand, but we never see Max, you know, lose his cool and just get completely out of hand. Even later in the movie when his life is dependent on him, when Odell tells him that if anything, you know, goes down here, you gonna be, I'm gonna shoot you in the head first or whatnot. You're not leaving out of here if anything bad is about to happen to me. But, he, in a you know cool max chair type of way he just plays it cool and everything and i really like robert forster's performance here and i know he got nominated for an oscar for this um of course he didn't win or whatnot but i i, like I say he he is almost like the i want to say like the conscious the um more compass of the movie or anything because he's he's the coolest cat in the whole movie or whatnot um so going back to um jackie uh getting you know arrested and everything so basically what happened to beaumont is kind of similar what happens to her because it's never fully said but we find out that beaumont basically did rat out odell jackie and the whole thing henceforth that's how jackie ended up getting arrested and how they got on to um odell so after max you know, comes to get Jackie and everything and brings home. We have Odell who's sitting and waiting for her. Um, he waits for Max to leave and then he goes to her place and they he goes in and you can tell that Odell is doing something like he's up to something. Similar to like the whole thing with Beaumont. He's up to something no good and everything. And he basically turns out the light and he's like he basically he's about to choke uh um jackie choke her to death or whatnot but she being the smart savvy woman that she is she has a gun and she basically turns the tables on him which i like that how that whole scene plays out and we realized that um <clears throat> that jackie isn't you know the um she isn't like this naive you know foolish woman or whatnot. she's very smart she's very street smart and i'm pretty sure if she she almost seems like a character that, um, you know, when she if she was when she was younger or not, she was very smart, career driven. But just you know, things happen in life or not, and she ended up as a flight attendant or whatnot because she comes across like someone who could have been doing anything um, that she wanted because she is that smart of a person. um So uh the whole like I say the whole Jackie getting arrested is, is the thing that kind of kicks off the whole movie because at first we're just kind of piecing things together where we're meeting all like the characters and everything like that but jackie after she gets arrested is where the movie kind of kicks it up like okay this is where we're going with this whole thing um so i did mention that i want to talk about the sig haig uh making appearance in the movie because he's one of those people um who you know he made his name Back in the 70s, being in a lot of exploitation movies, a lot of them with, um, a lot of them happen to be with uh, Pam Grier. So, Pam Grier, the story goes that Pam Grier did not know that Sid Haig was even, you know, cast in the movie or whatnot. So, during the courtroom scene, because he plays the judge or whatnot, during the courtroom scene where she's being arraigned and, and everything, her bill is being set, you know, he plays the judge. So the way from the way the story goes is that when she walks in walks onto the set or whatnot and she sees him sitting in the um, chair or whatnot as the judge she burst out laughing because he always played like some of the most nastiest characters in the movies that they did together years before and everything so and it was kind of funny that you know he shows up in this movie um and this had been the first movie he had done in a while um some years actually and then a few years after this he would kind of restart his career thanks in large part to rob zombie and the whole um, house of a thousand corpses and the devil rejects and he just kind of got back into acting has been doing a lot of stuff since then but this movie is where it kind of kicked back off from him so this movie kind of helps a lot of people' careers um mainly pam greer robert Forster, sid haig um or whatnot um and everything like that um so do want to talk about bridget fonda's character here because as a melanie the beach blonde um surfer girl um that's i wouldn't say that she's odell's girlfriend but she because odell almost comes across like he's a pimp too and maybe maybe melanie is like 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 one of his hoes or whatnot i'm i'm not sure they never like explain like how exactly they come to be but that's always the vibe anytime i watch the movie that's kind of how it comes comes to me about the relationship between melanie and odell or whatnot uh bridget Fonda, i think she's good in this uh she doesn't get a lot of screen time but she gets enough to where she's involved with quite a few of the funnier awkward moments i.e the whole stuff that's going on with her and Robert De Niro where she gets him high a few times they have sex uh, and everything like that and then of course uh, when Lewis ends up killing her later on in the movie uh, also kind of gets played for last I won't say last but it's almost like a dark humorous tone to it and everything but I thought Bridget Fonda was good in this Um, it's too bad she's not really doing too much now would not I mean it'd be nice to see her kind of come back again I think the last the last big thing that she was really in if I'm correct would be um Lake Placid but the last thing that she's probably best known for doing that was somewhat of a higher scale would be um the movie uh Kiss of Dragon Kiss of the Dragon with uh, Jet Li so that's like I know she's done some like smaller stuff after that and everything but it would be nice to see her kind of make a comeback to the bigger screen because I mean she does come she is a a fonder after all um and everything but it'd be cool like I say to see her pop up in something kind of major again one day hopefully we'll see um so um I know I'm kind of talking about different people at this point but I gotta talk about I mean the man who basically almost commands this whole movie even though it's called Jackie Brown. It could have been called Odell, and I'm talking about one Samuel Jackson because this is basically his movie. Um, from the moment he comes onto the screen, and I, I, I don't know this for a fact, and I never like check to see, but I believe he actually gets more screen time even than Jackie Brown because there's a big chunk of the movie where we're following him around, and you almost kind of forget about Jackie until they bring her back and it was like, oh yeah, she, yeah, Pam Greer is actually here in, in, in this movie or whatnot. We, we spent a lot of freaking time with Odell. And I think that's a tribute to Samuel Jackson, him being as an actor. It is crazy that he's actually a year older than mm-hmm. Pam Greer. Um, Samuel Jackson was actually 49 when this movie came out. Um, <laughs> which is kind of crazy uh, because he's actually 70, you, you know, he's 70 now. Um, and everything but and and he don't look it which is mind-boggling to me but i mean he does a really great job in this movie and i know i mentioned that robert Forster was nominated but how was samuel jackson not nominated for this movie i mean he pretty much carries this movie and everything and it's almost like pulp fiction even though in pulp fiction he gets smaller screen time even though he bookends the movie and and everything but he gets a lot of screen time here he's very charismatic he's a very interesting character probably one of the most interesting characters that samuel jackson has ever played and he's played a lot of freaking characters um but how did he not get nominated for this movie i don't know um or whatnot but i mean he makes this movie he is the engine that makes this movie go in my opinion um We also got Michael Keaton here, who, um, his character, Ray Nicolette, which is a Elmore Leonard character, because this is based off of a Elmore Leonard book, um, Rum Punch, um, which is, I haven't read the book or anything like that, um, but i've seen quite a few movies and stuff based off elmore leonard's stuff and maybe i should get into reading some of his stuff because i actually like the movies that has been based on some of his stuff so it'd be nice to kind of go back and maybe read some books that these stories have been made about um and everything like that um i do know that is the fact that ray nicolette shows up here in a support but major role as Ray Nicolette he also shows up in Out of Sight which starred George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez as also Ray Nicolette who was uh, Jennifer Lopez character Karen Sisko's somewhat boyfriend even though he was still married type deal and so he kind of bridges the universal connection here that makes this take place all in the same universe in a way. Um, which also Samuel Jackson shows up at the very end of Out of Sight um, and everything like that. So they never clarify exactly who Samuel Jackson character is. And I just thought it was interesting that he shows up in that movie at the very end like that. Um, so like I say, it's just, there is a connection between those two movies. And who knows, maybe at one point, maybe this year, I will um, review Out of Sight. Because I actually am a fan of that movie. I like it um, and everything. So, I mean, like I said, a lot of stuff goes down in this movie, Um but I'm kind of going to skip over a whole bunch of stuff and go to the whole big money exchange um sequence that happens later in the film that Jackie is kind of set up with the ATF in order to kind of uh, catch up um Odell and his whole, you know, gun running and money and stuff like this. So. The first time that we see it go down, I mean, because Jackie sets the whole thing up with the ATF. The first time it goes down, it goes down in the mall um, court, uh, food court or whatnot. And, you know, and everything. That's the first time. And it's done a certain way. And, And the fact that she has Max there as like her support. And everything, but no one knows who Max is except for her. So it's even him to kind of just wander around and just kind of oversee everything. He watches it, and he realizes, like, hmm, there's there was a third person there, you know, involved in it. Which um we realized that Jackie didn't even know that there was a third person involved in the whole money thing when she just thought that she was dealing with the girl who comes and sits down to the table, and you know, they switch bags and everything like that. But there was also a third woman there. Simone and everything was the third woman. And Max just kind of smiles about about that. And he follows Simone out as she gets in her car and drives away. Um, Now, we find out that apparently Simone basically took the money from this whole transaction. And she, you know, got out of town. But, you know, after watching it this time for the podcast when max follows her out to the car and he writes down her license plate and we don't see any more about that and we know that max is a bill bondsman and he has probably some connections with the police or whatnot i and then they say that simone just disappeared i wouldn't be surprised if max didn't make some phone calls and had her arrested on some type of charges and she was just out of the way because i, I mean I, i'm not putting it past that character that she made her. Took the money and, and ran off, but I don't know, it just seemed coincidental, like, why would he write down her license plate? And then there's, they, they don't even go back to it. So has Odell thinking that, you know, she was involved because maybe they wanted to get Melanie involved in it some type of way because Melanie wasn't going to be involved in the, the big um, transaction of this and everything, which made Melanie kind of pissed off and mm-hmm. everything in a funny type scene. Um, and everything, but I always found it very interesting, um, or whatnot, why they had that in there, and then I go back to it. Um, so the next time we do the money exchange is going to be like in a in a fitting room and everything, so Jackie can do the little scheme that she wanted to do, where she takes more, you know, because there's a lot of money coming in. She's going to actually take all of the well, the biggest of the money, and try to fool Odell. You know, by having some little money on top and then having some books underneath and under the beach tiles and everything like that just to throw him off. So he goes down and the fact that Simone is not here anymore, that's how Melanie gets involved um, and everything like that. So one thing I like about this is that we see this whole money exchange go down from three different points of views. We see it go down from Jackie's point of view first, then... We see it go down from Lewis and Melanie's point of view. And then we see it go down from Max's point of view. So because one thing about Tarantino, at least in his earlier films, he did a thing where he liked to kind of play with time and when things actually happened. That was almost like a trademark for him. It is in Reservoir Dogs um, a few times. He definitely did it with the whole story structure of Pulp Fiction. And then, like I say, he did that with this with this scene, at least, um, in Jackie Brown. Then he kind of got, he started to get away from that somewhat. I mean, yeah, he would kind of do it, you know, maybe in little places throughout his next films or whatnot. But for the most part, he got away from that, which became almost like a trademark of his, which is showed the growth, I guess, as him as a filmmaker. He wanted to kind of get away from certain things, even though he kept other things um, especially his foot fetish he kept that of course <laughs> oh, what that's never going anywhere um, he also kind of got away from the trunk scene too um, granted I mean he he started doing a lot of westerns here in recent years and stuff like that so wasn't no place for a trunk or uh, anything but he started to get away from that which you know it's kind of interesting who knows it might come back in his newest movie uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I mean I'm, I'm very looking forward to that movie um and everything, um, so, like I said, I did like how that scene plays out, and you get to see like how each one of them got there and how they all left. Some didn't leave home um, entirely and talking about the whole thing with Lewis and Melanie, where they get outside in the parking lot, and for some reason, Lewis the whole time is like nervous and everything he's sweating, which Melanie even makes reference to, like why are you sweating, and when they get outside, he forgets exactly where they parked at. And she kind of is teasing him the whole time, like, and the way she says his name, like Louis, you know, putting a lot of emphasis on the S with the and everything. He tells her, like, you know, just shut up, just leave me alone, or whatnot. But she pushes him too far, and then he turns around, and he just shoots her, shoots her twice, and everything. And then he he gets up out of there and everything. Um. So, um, of course, after that, that's where um, Odell it gets picked up by Lewis because like he told them earlier that he'll be sitting off at a at a bar somewhere waiting for them to do the whole thing before he actually came out of you know and everything because he know that they're looking you know they're kind of watching him and everything so Odell gets into the the uh, van with with Lewis and they're, they're driving off and Odell gets pissed with Lewis <laughs> for for a number of reasons the first one is the fact that when lewis tells odell that he shot melanie he thinks she's dead like well let's hope that she uh, he's a little pissed about it because he liked melanie clearly and everything but he's like well you know if you had to shoot her you had to shoot her or whatnot he's like but one thing we don't want is that woman surviving on us and then 'cause because he know melanie would spill everything you know for vengeance or whatnot so that was he was a little mad about that then he gets a little more mad when he looks in the um the uh, bag and everything and sees that it wasn't all the money is not there and you, and you see some books thrown in there it's like Louis, what the hell is this it's like what and he's like man it's only like about 40 something you know uh, thousand here like well where's the rest and it's like hey man uh, that's the bag she came out of the fitting room with you know and everything it's like hold on Louis, you don't don't be playing with me and tell you know you should mail in and offer some room with the rest of my money and y'all then kind of plotting the scheme in here. it's like man look that's 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 all it was and everything. So. I say, oh he gets he gets a little bit more pissed doing that. Then when he tells Lewis to pull over, and they're talking and, and then it comes up about the fact that Lewis saw Max Cherry in the um women's department of this um this um department um place or whatnot. This store and everything. He he saw Lewis in this he Lewis saw Max Cherry at this same shopping um in a women's dress um, clothing store, or whatnot. And this is where old Dale goes off. I'm like, he so you see Max Cherry in the women's dress department alone, and you don't think nothing. Never like, no nah, man, I just thought he was there with his wife or something, or his girlfriend, and everything. So you know he a bells bouncer, right? You know they all crooked in a barrel of s- snakes, right? Which I love that line because of the fact that Samuel Jasmine played in a movie about some snakes on the plane years later. So anytime he mentioned about snakes, it's always funny. Um,. So, him and Lewis, they get into it and everything. And through the midst of this, Odell, he knows that Jackie Brown is the one that's, that's setting him up now. And him and Lewis, they get onto it again. And Samuel Jackson, well, Odell kills, um, Lewis. And I always think that's kind of funny because a few years before Jackie Brown, a little movie called Goodfellas, where, um, Samuel Jackson has a small role in that movie, um, and everything, and he's part of the crew that helped rob this this place and everything. And when when Robert De Niro's character of Jimmy is killing, having like all the other gang members killed off, he has Joe Pesci. Tommy goes to Stacks' his place, played by Samuel Jackson, to kill him. So I always find it funny that um, Robert De Niro had samuel jackson killed in one movie and then samuel jackson turns around and killed robert de niro in another movie um so i always feel like they're even you know now with that so maybe they need to be in another movie together to kind of break that tie of some one of them killing each other again um so it would be cool to kind of see them in a the movie together again um and everything but i always have like a little that's just a little thing of, that i have about you know them being in a movie together um I have to talk about the title character, the title actress, I should mean, and I'm talking about one Pam Grier. Like I said earlier, this was her comeback role in a sense. Um, she is a '70s bombshell. They, she, she almost kind of gets forgotten, at least from the mainstream when talking about like '70s icons like a Bo or somebody like that. They, you know, they kind of forget Pam Grier. But Pam Grier was doing a lot of, you know exploitation movies and women in cages movies and you know different things like that and then you know got to the point where her career kind of started to suffer a little bit but thankfully um she got back to her glory by playing a brown again um because she's best known to from back in the day for playing foxy brown and here she gets to play jackie brown now whether if foxy and jackie are related i don't fully knew but um it would be cool if they did say that if tarantino said yeah they are actually related or something like that um hell maybe she could be uh foxy's daughter or something who knows um but um yeah they pam Grier does a very good job in this movie um she's a very strong smart woman in this movie she basically kind of manipulates um uh, everything on one side i mean odell is kind of manipulating Well, he thinks he's manip- doing some manipulating um as far as things go especially when it comes to jackie but jackie is actually the true ring and puppet master that's pulling all the strings in the movie um and everything and like i say Pam Grier does a great job um in this movie it, I, it'd be cool to see her show up in another tarantino movie um at some point too um because tarantino does like to work with um, actors over again, but we haven't seen um Pam Grier show up in anything of his again outside of Jackie Brown. Um so after the whole thing with the money exchange and Odell killing Lewis and everything like that, um they basically after they got away the with the money pretty much, they decide to set up Odell for the kill. And to have Max go to where O'Dell is to give him his original $10,000 bail money that he gave him earlier for Beaumont that he transferred over to Jackie and everything. So Max goes over to get him and tells him you know, that Jackie wants to see him to actually give him his money. But she's at Max's place, but she's not leaving and because she's too scared, blah, blah, blah. So that's where... Um, Odell and Max goes back to um Max's place and everything, and that's where Odell tells max say you know if, if anything is about to jump off of here that ain't right, I'm shooting you in the head first, mm-hmm. and everything, and once again, like I said earlier Max don't lose his cool, he don't look nervous, or anything like I say he just he's just the coolest dude in the world, he's almost like Charles Bronson in this in a way he, he never kind of loses his temper um or whatnot so they get back to max's place and jackie's sitting there at max's desk and then she turns out the lights when she realized they pull up and everything and max walks in first and then odell kind of peeps around like jackie that's you and then like yeah and he walks so he starts to walk over to the desk and we see the back door open and we see ray uh dargus and they they step out and before Odell can do anything Jackie yells out he got a gun and Ray shoots him like three four times dead and turns on the light and see him laying there he did he did have a gun but he wasn't in a threatening way at least not yet anyway but Jackie basically sets it up like that that he was about to shoot her and when they're standing over Odell's body and Jackie tells Ray, say, Remember when I told you that, um, hope I hope that you get him before he get me She says, Thanks and it's almost like the way she says it, Ray kinda thinks like, Yeah, you you basically had me kill him (laughs) That's the look that he gives and it's like "Eh." I mean he's not like torn up about it, but he's like, Yeah, you basically did just use me to kill this dude, even though I could have probably arrested him, but you truly wanted him dead and it's like, "Eh, whatever Mm -hmm. Um and everything so you know that's basically how they get odile up out of there basically um but then we have like this the ending to this movie i thought was very interesting in the fact that um uh jackie goes to she she pulls up to actually she's, she's sitting already in max's um place Like, after he's coming out of the bathroom or whatnot. And, you know, he's happy to see her. Um, Because they have an interesting little relationship in this movie. He's almost like her confidant, her rock, in a sense. And you can tell that they kind of, they like each other. And Jackie basically has Odell's car and everything. The only thing that the cops didn't uh, take. Uh, The only thing that the cops didn't take or whatnot. And, you know... He uh, Max asks her like, "Oh, so where you gonna go?" And she tells him and everything, and it's like, "Come with me." And it's almost like he hesitates for a second, but then he gets a phone call, and it's someone about a bells bombers for the son. And as he's on the phone or whatnot, he watches as Jackie gets up and she walks out to the car. He's standing on the phone, he's talking, and then he sees her get into the car, and it's almost like he wants to he wants to say something he wants to like go after her or whatnot and maybe tell her to stay or maybe say i will go but he doesn't move he just you know he hangs up the phone and he just sits there and watches her drive away as uh the Dale Phonics, um would um didn't I, didn't i play i forgot the actual name of song didn't i think a girl this time didn't i it would not but i'll probably put that in the episode um and everything but um yeah he just kind of sits there and the question that comes to mind to me is like if i was max would i have gone would i have dropped everything and just gone and traveled the world with this beautiful amazing woman and everything if i was max i I probably would um but i i I like that the movie ends kind of on that in a way um well, not on that, actually. It actually ends with Jackie driving and Across 110th Street. So we kind of book in the movie with this song of um, Bobby Womack's playing. And just the way it, it goes off, I just love the way it builds. And then when it gets to that big, like, da 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 and then it goes off, and then the title called of Written and Directed by Quentin Tarantino comes up, and it just plays, and the music playing over those credits, I just i don't know for some reason i just love how the movie ends on that note in a way because jackie gets out you know with the money she doesn't get her guy but max is still he's still around so who knows maybe they do end up hooking up or some you know you know down the road or something like that but i just do enjoy um this movie a lot and everything um so that's i mean that's pretty much uh, jackie brown um everything but that is not actually the end of the podcast so way back like i say in november i put out some um you know uh, questions or whatnot in regards to in regards to you know Tarantino's three films that i'd be doing and i asked for some feedback you know where you could um either you could list your three um favorite quentin tarantino films and then also to uh, also these three movies that I'll be covering um, and everything and talk about them. So first up, I want to talk about I want to do the top three Quentin Tarantino films that are favorite. So um, I'm gonna go to Instagram first because I did po- I did ask this question on Instagram and got some feedback from someone from uh, that's part of this uh, network TV Zone Podcast Network. Uh, left some feedback one uh christian of the for frodo podcast so thank you sir for that i'm pretty sure you don't even remember uh leaving the feedback here but you did sir Oh, uh, so he says that his top three favorite quentin tarantino films are pope fiction and glorious bastards and kill bill volume two not one but two i mean Kill Bill, you can look at his two movies, or you can look at his one. I'll accept it either way um, and everything. So, Christian, I want to thank you for leaving your feedback over on Instagram. Um, like I said, you can follow J Movie Talk on Insta, J, Instagram at JMT Podcast. Um So, like I said, he left his feedback over there. Then let me hop over to the Twitter, where I asked the same question. And we have... Uh, the guys from podcasts that I'm proud to say that I listen to on a regular. Um, I like to listen to all their episodes. Um, and I'm talking about the podcast of uh, Hack and Slash hosted by Campbell and John. Uh, so thank you guys for leaving your feedback as well. Um, once again, you guys probably don't remember leaving the feedback either because I took more time off than, of the podcast than I planned to. But uh, the guys over there at Hack and Slash podcast, they said that top three films are Pulp Fiction, it's a game-changing icon of 90s indie cinema, which I agree with because, like I said earlier, it changed the game of how films were done, how it made. It, it was something fresh, brand new. It kind of revitalized the industry in a way. It kind of restarted it, you could say. Uh, second up, they said Kill Bill, both volumes. So, like I said, I will accept Kill Bill either as individually or as one whole because it is one whole story, really um says epic is brutal heartfelt compelling engrossing and brilliant and i agree with all of that um and then inglorious bastards once again um one of the best world war ii films which also subverts the genre yeah it, it does and also to mention that i have to mention the soundtracks for all of them too Yes, I mean, the soundtrack to this movie alone is very good, and all of Quentin Tarantino's soundtracks are very good. And I'll probably talk about it in another episode, um, maybe in the last episode that I do for this, about his movie soundtracks and how he picks the uh, music for each soundtrack and everything. So I want to thank Christian and uh, the guys over at Hack and Slash Podcast for naming your top three uh, Quentin Tarantino films. Now, I did ask another story, um, another story, another question in regards to um, the, in regards to Quentin Tarantino. Now, you could leave uh, feedback for each individual film that I'll be covering here. So um, if if you basically want to just leave feedback about Jackie Brown, you could. If you want to leave feedback for Death Proof, you could. Or if you want to leave feedback for the Hateful for Eight you could um you know strictly on those films alone and so let me go back over to instagram and let's see here um we have over on instagram let's see here da, 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 okay so um j just 1995 says that jackie brown is tarantino's most mature film to date which is true it it really is um like i said uh, myself earlier that is is, for some reason of all his films it is the most mature the most grown up of his this movie could have easily come out like in the 70s probably directed by like the, the likes of um uh maybe like a walter hill or uh, Paul Schrader, or someone like you know, something like this. Um, not necessarily like true exploitation directors, but guys that kind of on that border of exploitation films and everything. Um, so, let's say, uh, couldn't agree more about that um, and everything. Let's see. Anybody else? Leave feedback no i think that was it yeah okay so um like i said i want to thank you guys for leaving that feedback for that and for anyone else if you want to leave feedback for jackie brown you know even after this episode is uploaded or whatnot, not you can and i read it on one of the next episodes um and everything and then also too going to leave feedback for Death Proof, which I'll be doing next on episode 105 and then episode 106 when I'll be doing the hate for eight. I'm going to leave your feedback on for that. You can either do it on the post um, that I got up on my Instagram at JMT podcast, or um, you can you can just at me on Twitter, J Movie Talk. Leave your feedback like that, and I will definitely read it on the shows or whatnot. So, like I said, once again, thank you guys. Uh, For leaving your feedback, hopefully we get some more feedback as you know, kind of get back in the swing of things and letting people know that I'm actually still you know around or whatnot that I haven't like jumped ship with the podcast. Um, So uh, to kind of wrap this up, of course, for any new listeners, always uh, mention about my movie ratings for this. So I'm pretty sure this won't be shocking anything when I say that this is a five out of five for me. I just I think it's a great movie um really good actors great cast and you know the storytelling is done very well it's very it's, it's a good drama crime thriller that we don't see the likes of anymore and i don't think anybody else other than tarantino probably could have did this film at the time he did this film um and then my favorite character now this was kind of tough for me because i like max cherry i like odell even though i probably shouldn't so it was kind of toss up between the two so i decided to go with both max and um odell i mean i like jackie but those two i feel like are the two because they're the two men in her life in a way well technically three with ray but the max and odell are the two main guys that are in her life and they're total opposites and they bring out different emotions in jackie and so i went with the two of them and everything like that because i couldn't just pick one um, so, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, like I said, I want to thank you guys for listening. Of course, you can find all of the episodes on the TV Zone Podcast Network on Podbean.com. That's TVZonePodcast.Podbean.com. You can find all the episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever else you listen to your podcast. Be sure to follow me on the Instagram of JMT Podcast. Also, too, if you're on Facebook... Um, you can find the TV zone podcast um, group page. Um, You can join, talk about different movies, TV shows, um, things like that and everything, you know, welcome to it. You also can be updated on different movies, TV shows that'll be covered on the network and everything like that. Um, 2019. I'm really going to make more of an effort to be more active and everything and really promoting, all of the podcasts. So you're, anyone who follows me on any of these formats, you're going to be seeing a lot more of not just TV Zone stuff, not just uh, J Movie Talk stuff, but you'll be seeing from everything also like that. So you'll be seeing more um, posts, and I would love to get more, you know, interaction with you guys. Um, I want to thank everyone who do listen to the podcast. If you do leave feedback, I want to try to get more feedback. Who knows? And like I say, it's... Um, if there's anything that you would love to see me cover in the future in 2019, um, you know, you just hit me up on Twitter. Let me know what that and I will work it into the podcast some type of way. Um, So thank you guys for listening to this episode. And I'll be back for episode 105 as I will be reviewing the movie Death Proof. So I will catch you guys next time and peace out.